And if you will, turn in your Bibles to the ninth chapter, the book of Revelation, the ninth chapter. All right, let's start all over again. If you will turn in your Bibles to the seventh chapter, the book of Revelation, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you will remember that after the seven letters were written to the seven churches that John is caught up into the very throne room of God. And what an amazing place that was, the throne of God with God seated upon that throne, the 24 lesser thrones that were around, the sea of glass, the cherubim that were proclaiming holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there was an emerald rainbow that was over the, the throne. And what an amazing scene. But you will remember that there was the voice of a mighty angel that said, who is worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals? There was a title deed to the earth in the Father's hand. And the voice went throughout all of creation. And there was none worthy. And John begins to weep. And you'll remember that one of the elders tells him, don't weep, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he has overcome and he is worthy. And, and you'll remember that John turns and, and there's Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the earth. And, and he walks over and he takes that scroll out of the Father's hand and, and he begins to open up now the seven seals. The scroll was sealed with these seven seals. And so John begins to break open the scroll so that the scroll can be opened up. With each of the breaking of the seals on that scroll, there is a corresponding event that takes place. You'll remember that the Lord breaks open the first seal and a white horse comes forth and on it was the Antichrist. We saw the second seal was broken and there was a second horse that came out, a, a red horse that, that this time he came to take peace away from the earth. The, third horse was a black horse and and on it was one carrying scales and was representative of the scarcity that was on the face of the earth the black horse and and then there was finally the pale horse and the pale horse had hades and, and death uh, following uh, after it and and so the four horsemen of the apocalypse are unleashed with each of the breaking of those first four seals. You remember that the fourth seal now was the voice of the saints that were underneath the altar, the tribulation martyrs that were underneath uh, the altar. And they were crying out, how long, O Lord? And, and you'll remember that, and that the Lord tells them just a little while longer until all of the tribulation saints have been gathered together. The sixth seal, you remember that unleashed cataclysmic events uh, upon the face of the earth, the sky dropping stars like figs and, and the earth quaking powerfully. And, and so these cataclysmic judgments in the sixth seal. 
As we come to this next chapter, the seventh chapter, we are going to have a parenthetical pause, which means that between the sixth and the seventh and the seal, as John is watching this vision unfold, that it goes back and gives us more details on the things that happened during this period of time of the first and sixth seals. And, and so we are going to see two groups of people there's going to be this 144,000 that we are going to look at, and then there's going to be this great multitude uh, that John also sees. And, and so we are going to get the description of these two groups that also are in heaven. And so uh, we see in verse 1, chapter 7, it says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So he sees now these four angels, and they're on the four corners of the earth. And so that represents the whole earth. And it sees that they are holding back uh, the winds. Uh, many people believe that the winds that he's holding back are actually the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, we see in verse 2, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so we see that there has been the release uh, of uh, these uh, four horsemen, but that they are not allowed yet to, to wreak the havoc upon the earth until God protects those that are going to be sealed. We see throughout the scriptures how when judgment is coming, how God is able to protect uh, his elect uh, from the judgment that isn't taking place. You will remember Noah and how God was going to judge the wickedness uh, of the sin upon the earth, but Noah, we see, built an ark underneath the divine direction of God, and we see that he now was saved and protected during that storm, during that in tribulation and judgment. We see the nation of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt and how God, through Moses, brings the plagues upon Egypt, and yet we see that God's people were spared from those plagues uh, even though they were judgments. We see that the final plague was the death of the firstborn. And remember that Passover, the blood of the lamb over the doorposts, now and everybody who was within those households was saved and protected from the judgment that was coming. You remember Rahab, the harlot in Jericho, and when Jericho was going to be destroyed, uh, how God protected Rahab and all who were within her household, and she was not destroyed with the judgment that fell upon Jericho. Here we have the great tribulation upon the face of the earth. The church has already been raptured out, and now these judgments are about to fall. But there is the pause. Wait. There is an angel that has the seal of God. 
And this angel is going to go and to seal the ones that God has designated. They are ones that will be protected throughout the tribulation period that no harm will come to them. In verse 4 it says, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And so we see that they are sealed for a specific purpose, and we see that, that they are now going to be protected by God. Jesus was sealed. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, he said, God the Father has set his seal upon him. And we are also sealed with the Holy Spirit as a down payment for our eventual total redemption. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, God who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so the sealing of the Holy Spirit, this belongs to every believer when we are saved. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and lives. These individuals, these 144,000, we see that they now are out of the tribes of the children of the Israel. So who are these 144,000? Let me tell you first who they're not. They are not the church. Throughout the history of Christianity, there have been different groups of people that have come and said that the 144,000 are the church. And so they mentioned the specifics. There was one individual, Herbert Armstrong, back in the 1930s, and he started the Radio Church of God. And he was declaring that his church was building up the 144,000 that's mentioned here in the book of Revelation. And that they were preparing a place in the wilderness for these 144,000 to flee to, and that when everything began, he would send them a telegram if they were part of the faithful supporters who were double tithing and triple tithing to the ministry, then you could be part of that special 144,000 now uh, that was being prepared. The 144,000, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, uh, they believe that they are the 144,000. Historical Mormonism believes that they are the 144,000. Ellen White and Seventh-day Adventists taught that they were the 144,000. And Garner Ted Armstrong with his Worldwide Church of God, all of them believe that they now were part of the 144,000. This is part of what's known as replacement theology. For 2,000 years, remember that Christ was crucified in AD 33. Remember that there was the destruction of the temple four decades later in AD 70. And from that time on, the nation of Israel was, was barren. There were just Bedouins uh, who were wandering over the land. There was no nation of Israel until 1948. And that was when we saw the rebirth uh, of the nation of Israel. So from A.D. 70 to 1948, there was no nation of Israel. And so many people looked at the word of God, knew that the promises of God were absolutely true, but knew that many of these promises were specific in the future to the nation of Israel. But there was no nation of Israel. And so they got around that by saying, well, then the church must be the spiritual 
Israel. And so they started to claim the promises that were specific to the nation of Israel to the church. And so this is known as replacement theology. The problem here is, is that it specifically says the Jewish people and specifically is going to list for us the tribes that these 144,000 are going to come out of. Now, some of the facts about the 144,000. First of all, they're called the children of Israel. Second, they have the specific tribes uh, that are listed. Third, they are protected through the period of God's uh, wrath. Fourth, they are celibate. Fifth, they are the beginning of the great harvest. Uh, and finally, they are marked by integrity and faithfulness. They're the first fruits uh, of the redeemed of the nation of Israel. God always has a remnant. God always has his testimony and his witness on the face uh, of the earth. During the new covenant, the church has been that witness. It began with the nation of Israel. And when God chose a people through Abraham that he raised up and he said, this will be my people, I will be their God, and this nation will be a witness to the rest of the world of what a nation worshiping the true and the living God looks like. Jerusalem was the capital. The temple was built. The Shekinah glory dwelt there. And all the nations of the world were welcome to come and to worship the true and the living God. And the nation of Israel would be that testament and that testimony to the rest of the world. But Israel fell into paganism, fell into idolatry. They refused to stay faithful to God. And ultimately, when the Messiah came, when Jesus Christ came, they crucified him and the nation of Israel was then cut off as God's testament to, to the world of who he is and to his glory. The church age began. And rather than it being in a single location and it being a nation, God chose every tribe, every tongue, every nation. People from all over the world would be saved. And rather than having the temple and the Shekinah glory there in the Holy of Holies, we became living in temples with the Shekinah glory, with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And now spread throughout the whole world, all of these lights are shining witnesses to the glory of God. But at the rapture of the church, whoop, out go all of the lights and they now are brought into heaven. And so on the face of the earth, there is not a testimony to the grace of God. And so what does God do? God now is going to seal these 144,000 who are going to evangelize the world that is around them. We see that they're listed forth in verses 5 through 8. It says of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, guess how many? 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. 
Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And so we have got the 144,000. They are specific Jewish believers. We see that it is listed the tribes that they are from. And they are the beginning of the harvest uh, here upon the face of the earth during the tribulation period. They are the workers that are going to go into the field of the earth during the tribulation to bring about the harvest of those who would be saved. Now it's interesting that in this list we have got the tribes that are mentioned and the Jews that are coming from the different tribes. One of the issues though is that today Jews don't know the tribes that they are from. Remember in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed, that was where the genealogies were kept. That is where all of the records were kept. When that was burned, they lost all of their records. Today, Jews do not know the tribe that they actually are from. But the good thing is God knows the tribes uh, that they are from. And so here we see that this 144,000 is going to come out of these 12 tribes. We see that the sealing and the preservation is going to also fulfill the prophecy that we see in Zechariah. They are going to be the ones that suddenly now recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Today the Jews are waiting for their Messiah. They don't believe that the Messiah has come. They have rejected the claim that Jesus is the Messiah and they are waiting for their Messiah. But what's going to happen is that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit of grace upon the nation of Israel. They are cut off right now during the church age. But then when the church is gone, he will pour his grace back upon the nation of Israel. He will use the nation of Israel once again to fulfill and complete the plan of salvation and redemption of mankind. They were cut off for a season for the church age, but once the church is taken up, then the rest will unfold. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign out of Israel, out of Jerusalem. That will be the millennial capital of the world. And all of the other promises that are directed to Israel are going to be fulfilled. We see these 144,000 now are suddenly going to have this experience where they recognize that they missed the Messiah, that they missed the Messiah. Zechariah describes it this way back in chapter 12, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And in that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. They are suddenly going to recognize that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And the one who they have been waiting for all this time has already come. And they are going to grieve over that. And they are going to mourn over that. We see that as we look at this list of these 12 tribes, we notice that Dan 
is not a part of the tribes uh, here that are listed. Now, Dan was given coastal area along the Mediterranean, but what they did is they wanted to move up north to the <coughs> to the northern region of the nation of Israel. So they moved up there, and then they were one of uh, the territories that shared a border with pagans. Idolatry entered into the tribe of Dan. First idolatry comes into the tribe of Dan. Later when the kingdom divides into the northern and southern kingdom and Jeroboam makes the golden calf and starts the golden calf worship, the altar is built in Dan. Dan is not listed here, and many believe it was because Dan led the nation into idolatry that its name is not listed in these 12 tribes. However, others believe that the reason why Dan is not listed here is because they believe that the Antichrist is going to have Jewish blood in him, and that the Jewish blood is going to come from the tribe of Dan. So they believe the Antichrist uh, has Semitic blood and specifically from the tribe of Dan. They get this from the passage in Genesis, Genesis chapter 49, verse 17, that says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its riders shall fall backward. And so many believe that the Antichrist is going to come from the tribe of Dan, and that is why they are not listed here in the 144,000. Now, in the millennial reign, when Christ sits upon the throne, there is going to be the reallocation of the nation of Israel back to the 12 tribes again. And in that real reallocation, Dan is given its portion in the reallocation. The 144,000. I want you to imagine for a minute. 144,000 people all get radically saved. These Jews that become radically saved. Do you remember the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who was on his way to Damascus persecuting the Christians when suddenly he has an encounter with the risen Lord? And, and do you remember that he becomes Paul the apostle and once he recognizes that Jesus is uh, the Messiah and, and how from that point on he goes and declares the truth of the new covenant in every place. We also see the way that he suffers and the opposition that he experiences, shipwrecked and stoned and imprisoned and beaten with rods and, and all, but he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Can you imagine 144,000 Paul the Apostles unleashed uh, on the face uh, of the earth? Uh, they are going to be sealed. They're going to be protected during the period of the tribulation. But it will be tough sledding during this time. Can you imagine the opposition that they are going to face uh, underneath the authority of the Antichrist? as Antichrist is in power. And so they are going to be arrested and harassed and persecuted, but God has sealed them and they will be protected throughout the period of the tribulation. And so verse nine, we see after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. Now this other group was the 144,000 that's going to be sealed here upon the earth. John sees that. But now back to the throne room again. 
And, and here is this crowd that is in the throne. And it says, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. So this great multitude, they're before the throne and before the Lamb, and it says that they have white robes on. Now, white robes indicates the righteousness uh, of Christ. It means that they are saved. These people are people that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have palm branches. Palm branches are a symbol of worship. Remember when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and they bring the palm branches out and they are worshiping the Lord? So these people have the righteousness of Christ. They're before the throne of God, before the throne of the Lamb, and they are worshiping. It says in verse 10, and they're crying out with a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and, and to the Lamb. So the theme of their worship is salvation. They are just praising God and, uh, <coughs> and thanking God for their salvation. They have the white robes, the righteousness of in Christ, and, and they are recognizing that God is the source of our salvation and no one else. Salvation isn't something that we achieve. It's not something that we graduate up into. It is something that God gives. And because God gives it, God is the one who is worthy of all of the credit for our salvation. We are saved by grace and through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a free gift from God, lest anybody should boast. And so here is the picture of this multitude of people who are saved and they are just worshiping God and praising him for their salvation, for their salvation. To praise God for his salvation. How do we thank God for our salvation? I remember when I was first saved, when I had first accepted Jesus Christ, I knew that I was a sinner, but I wasn't a big sinner. <laughs> I was just like a small to medium-sized uh, sinner. I was, you know, I was basically a very good person by my own standards. I, I had never killed anybody, so that, that's the first thing. I, I didn't lie <laughs> more than I had to. Uh, <laughs> And I generally uh, tried to be honest as long as it was in my best interest. Uh, uh, and, you know, and so, but, and these were the, the ways that, that, that I lived my life. Uh, 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 but as I have grown as a believer, as I have begun to understand the standard of God's law, of his holiness, of the absolute perfection of God, and as I began to see myself in the light of the truth of God's word, I began to see more and more and more sin in my life. And I began to see less and less righteousness in, in my life. And as I have continued to study the word of God and as I continue to, to see who God is as he reveals himself in the word of God, I come to the passage where it says that that in your flesh dwells no good thing. That all there is is sin and iniquity. 
And Paul, who was a great apostle, would call himself that he was the least of the apostles, one who was born out of due time. And later on in his life, he got to the point where he said, I'm the chief among sinners. I'm the chief among sinners. To be standing now before the holy creator God of the universe, before the Lord and Jesus Christ, and to be able to worship him and to thank him for our salvation. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for washing away every single one of my sins. And what is man that you are mindful of us? God, how can you even love me? Look at my sin. And yet he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And behold, we are made new before him. And we will worship and thank him and praise him all the days of our life. This is the song of the redeemed. And every single one of us will be singing this song of the redeemed. Every single one of us was separated from God and dead in our trespasses and our sins. And Jesus Christ came and rescued each and every one of us and extended a, a hand. And we were convicted by the Holy Spirit to take the hand, take the hand and accept the gift of salvation and let him pull you out of the muck and mire of the world and let him set your feet upon the rock and let him wash you and cleanse you and clothe you in, in righteousness. And you will spend all eternity as part of the redeemed in heaven declaring how wondrous God is for our salvation that he has wrought. This is the song. This is the future. This is a picture of us uh, before the throne room. Salvation isn't something we give, we achieve. It's something God gives and God deserves uh, all the credit. And now in verse 11, and all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Suddenly now as the people are worshiping as these people have been saved, are worshiping before the Lord. Everybody else joins in. The elders join in. The church joins in. We see that even the cherubim, all created beings, all join into this amazing, unbelievable worship service. We see that there is the sevenfold praise. Remember that seven is the number of completion, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor, power and might and all fall before the throne of God in total adoration and worship. And then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? There is this enormous multitude that is in the throne room and they are worshiping. And one of the elders asks John, John, who are these people that are now worshiping the Lord? But it's a rhetorical question. He is asking John because he wants to make sure that John knows the identity of who they are, much in the same way that a parent asks their child, what's going on here to make sure that the child understands what is transpiring? Not that the elder didn't know. And John is going to declare he doesn't know. And so we see in the next verse here, John declares, and I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones who came, who have come out of the great tribulation. 
and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now it's interesting that the 24 elders representative of the church, when John arrives into the throne room, he recognizes that that is the church. But here, they're not a part of the church. And so he doesn't recognize uh, who they are. And when the elder asks him, do you know who they are? He says, no, I don't, but, but you do, can you tell me? He says, these are the tribulation saints. Remember the 144,000 that are sealed, they're evangelists, they're down evangelizing the earth and people are getting saved and people are dying in the tribulation. Remember in the tribulation period, we looked and it said that a quarter of the people on the face of the earth are gonna die in the tribulation. Two billion people are going to die during the tribulation period. But many of them are gonna have been people that accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And this is the crowd now that is worshiping before the Lord. And so John now is told that, that these are the, the tribulation saints. They have washed uh, been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those saved during the Great Tribulation are saved just like everybody else. It's by the blood of the Lamb of God. There is no other way of entering into the kingdom of God except being washed in the blood of the Lamb. In verse 15, and therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them to dwell among his people. God will dwell among us when we are in heaven. What a glorious promise that is. David in Psalm 27 says, one thing I've desired of the Lord and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God is going to dwell with us and we will behold the beauty of the Lord. In verse 16, he will shepherd us. It says, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore and the sun shall not strike them nor any heat. They have come through the tribulation. They have come out of the tribulation rather and the tremendous difficulty and hardships that they suffered. But now, all of that is behind them. And so he is going to shepherd them. Verse 17, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. The Lord, he's going to shepherd us in heaven. One day we are going to experience the Lord as our good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And he makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head 
with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the future of each and every one of us as we will be a part of those that are shepherded by the Lord himself in heaven. And then it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so all of our tears will be wiped away. In Psalm 56, 8, it says, you number my wanderings and put my tears into your bottle. And are they not in your book? There were tear bottles back in those days, in the ancient days. And mourners, when you would grieve over a lost one, you would collect the tears of the mourning into those bottles. And then you would seal them and they would be placed in the sepulchers, into the, the graves. And the tombs that have been dug up, there have been found, some of them have an exceedingly large number of these tear bottles that have been buried there in the tomb itself. And the picture is that God cares for you so much and he hurts over your hurts. And, and he said, in this world you will have tribulation. This is a difficult path to be a pilgrim. Broad is the way and easy that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate and difficult uh, is the path. But the picture is the Lord. As you are suffering and as you are crying, we will all cry our share of tears in this life. But the Lord is collecting them in this little tear bottle. And when you get to heaven, all of your tears are going to be wiped away. Every single one of them now removed from your eyes. And, and remember that tears are a product of grief. And grief is a product of sin. Every single bit of grief you've ever experienced in your entire life can be traced back to sin. All grief is caused by sin. Illness is caused by sin. Death is caused by sin. Our sin causes us to make mistakes and to hurt others, and, and we will cry over the actions that, uh, that we have made in our lives, and, and we weep over the pain that others who sin against us cause us as well. But all tears and all grief come back to the root nature of sin. <coughs> but the point is that grief and tears are now in the past. And sin is not going to be allowed into heaven, so there will be no grief uh, in heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, but there shall by no means enter it, meaning heaven, the new heaven, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so God himself is going to be there and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. And as he wipes the tears uh, from our eyes, there will be no longer any recollection of the grief that we have experienced and now we will be able to see and clearly and all that will be left before us is the joy of living the abundant life in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And that is the hope and that is the promise for each and every one of us. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for a moment back to verse 9, back to where it talks about this great multitude that is standing before the throne and clothed with white robes. And that was really the, the thing that grabbed me is the white robe of righteousness that we are given. And we are given that white robe of righteousness when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. You see, one day we are going to stand before the throne. That's an absolute certainty. It's as certain as the breath that you are breathing right now. Every single one of us uh, came into this world and we had our first breath and it was recorded the date and time that you drew your first breath uh, on your birthday. And as certainly as you drew a first breath, you will also draw a last breath. And once you have breathed that last breath, then you will disrobe yourself of this body and your soul will come into the presence of God. And now it will come in the presence of God. And your soul will either be clothed in your good works, all of your good deeds and the things that you have done in your life, and you will stand before him as a good person, or you will stand before him in a white robe, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that your good works is as filthy rags before God. If you take every good work you've ever done in your life and you try and stitch together a robe out of it, God looks at it and it's a mess. And he will not allow anybody to bring street clothes into heaven. There's a parable that he gives, the wedding parable. It's recorded in Matthew's gospel. The king is throwing a wedding feast for his prince who is getting married and the invitation goes out to come and to celebrate and to enjoy. And as each guest arrives, a robe, a garment is given to them, a wedding garment, that all of them have these wedding garments uh, on. <coughs> and the king is, is going through the, the crowd of, those that are celebrating and he comes across a person that doesn't have a wedding garment on he's just in his street clothes and the king stops him and asks him how is it that you got in here and why do you not have a wedding garment on and the man had no answer that he could give to the king and the king commanded the servants to bind him and to remove him and to cast him out into the outer darkness. For no one can come in without the righteousness of the robe of Christ upon them. You see, when you stand before God, you either stand washed and cleansed and in the robe of Christ's righteousness, which is freely given to you, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or you're going to stand before him in the good deeds that you've done. And just as in the parable that Jesus taught, most assuredly, you will be cast out of the kingdom and you will spend eternity separated from God. 
This morning, every single one of us here, we're either wearing a robe that is stitched together of our own good works or we have the white robe. That every single person that is in the throne room worshiping God is all wearing a white robe. And that's the white robe of the righteousness of Christ. And when you breathe your last breath, whichever robe you're in is the robe that you're going to stand before God in. And there will be no time to change. Whichever robe you show up in is going to determine whether you spend eternity with God and are welcomed into the throne room to praise God for your salvation and for the great and mighty work that he has done. Or you are going to hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never In a moment, we're going to give every single person an opportunity to receive a white robe. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, all you have to do is invite him into your heart. All you have to do is get off of the throne of your life and enthrone Jesus Christ and desire to be a part of his kingdom and to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and you will receive the white robe the righteousness of Christ. All of your sins will be washed away. Not some of them or most of them, all of them. And you now will receive the righteousness of Christ. And so I couldn't end this service without giving every single person an opportunity to be able to receive the white robe of righteousness, the mark of your forgiveness of sins and that you are sealed to a member of the bride of Christ. I want you to know that it doesn't matter if your spouse has a, a robe or if your parents have a robe or, or if your friends or your boss has a robe. You need your own robe. And no one can get that for you. You have to receive that from God yourself. And all you have to do is ask. The Bible says you have not because you, because you ask not. And so we're going to give an opportunity for every single person that wants to ask for that gift of salvation that wants to receive their robe, that as we worship through a song, that you just stand up and you come to the front. And whoever comes to the front at the end, we're going to pray that prayer and, and we're going to be passing out robes to every single person that, that comes and desires. If you do not have a white robe right now, if you are still standing before God in your own righteousness, then I am going to implore you, please, this is the day that God is stretching out his arms to you. This is the day that he is inviting you into the kingdom. This is the day that he's inviting you to take his hand and let him pull you out of your sin and let you be a part of the redeemed for all eternity. And if that's you and if you have never done that, then this is your time to respond to the greatest invitation that you will ever receive in your entire life. And so respond by coming forwards. Come forwards now to receive the gift of salvation. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit. No one can do it for you. You have to stand up and come yourself. You have to respond to God. Stand up and come right now.
Praise the Lord, sister. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come just as you are. Your own righteousness won't get you to heaven. You need a white robe. You need the righteousness of Christ. You need the standard of perfection, and we've all fallen short. Stand and come and receive eternal life. Life everlasting Strength For today Taste The living water And never thirst again Oh, life Life everlasting is there anyone else that would receive a robe today? Come now. The living water and never thirst again. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And God promises that He will come into your heart. And he has been watching over you from the moment that you were born, waiting for this moment to be able to give you new life, to be able to forgive you of every single sin you've ever committed and to receive that righteousness of Christ. I'll feed you the words, but I can't pray it for you. You have to take those words and you just pray them in earnestness to the God who has been watching over you and loving you every second of your life. Are you ready? Yeah. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. That I have not lived a perfect life. That I have not lived a perfect life. Jesus, I believe you died. Jesus, I believe you died. You were buried. You were buried. You rose again. You rose again. And you've ascended into heaven. And you ascended into heaven. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. To be my Lord and my Savior. To be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for washing away all of my sins. Thank you for washing away all of my sins. Thank you for clothing me in a robe of righteousness. Thank you for clothing me in a robe of righteousness. Thank you for sealing me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sealing me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you for adopting me into the family of God. Thank you and thank you for adopting me into the family of God. I thank you that I am now your child. Forever. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. And amen. And welcome into the family of God. God bless you. I'm gonna have you go right through those doors. Congratulations. Praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. If you wanted to come and to receive Christ and you didn't, there's still more robes available after service. Uh, you can come up uh, and we can take care of that. If you need prayer, I want to invite you to come for us for prayer as well. Next weekend, we are going to be looking at Revelation chapter 8. So go ahead and read forwards on that and we will uh, take a look at that next weekend. Wednesday. Our midweek, we have